Trigger rates. This is something you're going to hear in the news. And I think this is super, super important. This episode, I think, comes out on the 5th. And then the Bank of Canada is going to announce another rate increase on the 7th. All indications are that it's going to be 75 basis points. There's also these variable products where your payment actually stays fixed, but the ratio between your interest and your principal, that's what gets adjusted as these rates increase. It is reaching the point for a lot of these variable where rates. Full interest payments or interest payments worth more than the actual payment itself. Exactly. And that is called the trigger rate. And so you're going to have three options when this happens. One is that you're going to you know, raise your rate. Option two is that you can actually start making lump sum payments. And the third option is the one the banks want you to take, which is that you'll opt into a fixed rate in order to give yourself mm. some predictability. This is going to happen here in this very possibly the start of September for some people and then certainly continuing into the fall. So when, when, when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had All rich right, habits. let's get right into it. This is the Master Keys podcast. We are Atlantic Canada's top podcast for real estate investing. We just kind of talk about things that we've done personally. Uh, we're building a community to kind of discuss ideas, see what works, see what doesn't work, and share our experiences, and hopefully throw out some new ideas while also keeping track of the market. Yeah, we're real estate investors, real estate agents. Between the two of us, we have 200 plus units. We've done more than 400 million in transactions. Um, so we just can try and, like you said, use our best experiences to help you guys make your decisions and hopefully grow your businesses. Um, and then also we talk about some fun stuff in the news. Yeah, yeah. And we always try to bring it back home, stuff that's relevant to you. So this week, it's kind of interesting. We've got guests here. It's actually friends and I guess our bosses, uh, the owners <laughs> and brokers at Remax Novi here. A lot of you guys reach out to us and ask us questions about the brokerage model and being a real estate agent. We've talked a little bit about that in the past. Um, but this is going to be really interesting because we're going to have some questions for them, get to see how the sausage is made, you know, see behind the curtains. How much sausage is made. How much sausage, how much money they're making, how they make their money, what the market's doing right right now. All of these things, if you're interested in real estate, it's going to be some really cool insight. So make sure you stick around and check that out. We're also going to talk about trigger rates. Trigger warning, trigger rates are coming. Uh, what does that mean for those of you on, on variable products? And we're just going to cover some cool new stuff. What's going on with these poor millennials out there? They're struggling. They're feeling the pinch with the housing market. They're losing confidence. We've got some cool data on that. And you got some hilarious Toronto stuff as well. Yeah. Eight foot wide houses, fake deals, and not so funny stuff. People living in homeless shelters. So yeah. But I want to start out on a on a lighter note. Okay. Uh, did you watch that show, The Most Hated? It's on Netflix. The Most Hated Man on the Internet. No. Oh. It's what the, the guy. Tinder swindler. No, no. <laughs> um, this guy made the website. Is anyone up? This is before your time. Neil's young, man. See, Neil can relate to the millennials and the anyone topics we're going to talk about today. So he made this terrible website that was all about like revenge porn. All right. Oh, um, I heard about this. But anyway, it's it's a. Crazy, crazy show. Terrible person. Um, but I saw this article. These flippers um, bought this property, this distressed property, and it had a couple safes on it. In the safe, they found all kinds of crazy stuff, um, some of which was like blackmail material. Where? In so the safe. These people were flipping a property, and the property, when they got the keys... Uh, it was trashed, but it also had a safe. Okay, so it's and not actually anything to do specifically with the is anyone up? No, but no, no, but it just made, made me kind of okay. think yeah, of it yeah, because yeah. they showed some of the photos. That's weird as hell. I'm sure people come across that stuff all the time. Have you ever found, this is what I was going to ask you, have you ever found anything interesting? Uh, found a lot. Of, like The biggest thing is probably blades, man. I, the most recently, I think we the podcast was on and we found a ton of like knives and like crazy ones that were like... Oh, really? They were like looped around the person's hand so you could have them like... If you're like fighting someone, you could like slash oh, yeah. them and shit like that. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, and this tenant left very peacefully, but there was probably about 15 different types of like blades sitting in one of the cabinet drawers. I'm trying to think what else is, uh, what have you found? I found like uh, some love letters and um, a raunchy picture. Really? Um, yeah, like this <laughs> middle-aged couple were evidently exchanging 
no uh, letters, good old school letters, man. And she sent like a little, a little picture there. No um, way. So I found that actually it was it was a house I lived in for a while when I was demoing it out. I'll, I'm going to say I had a house I was flipping and it was a bit of a hoarder house. It was full of the brimless stuff and I was throwing everything out, but there was a bunch of um, like family things here and there. And so I actually just for some reason was keeping them and put them all aside. And oddly enough, one day I was there by myself just throwing garbage into the bin, like all this random stuff that they had. And they showed up looking for their stuff. Uh, hmm. And I was like, okay, look, like they're like, no, no, we get it. Like you bought the house fair and square from the bank. Yeah. No big deal. We just want to see if we can get some of our stuff. I had already emptied the house out 90% at that point, but I did have a couple buckets of like all their family photos and some of the kids stuff and all that. And they gave it to them and they were actually super pleased. But yeah, he uh, come across that same with like it, when a tenant leaves. Sometimes like, when, yeah, yeah, I know sometimes a tenant leaves quickly and it's hard to get all this stuff. Um, but I have found some TVs and stuff. Sometimes people leave behind crazy stuff that I'm like, I know. Left behind a like TV stand and a beautiful like sixty inch TV. This is like a fifteen hundred dollars worth of stuff, yeah, uh, and we hold on to it. I think it's for a month or two, whatever the rule is. And oftentimes people never come and collect their stuff. It's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. But. Changing lanes here really quickly. Um, I want to talk about uh, this survey that came out. Um, yeah, Neil, you're a young person. You can maybe more relate to the millennials. The I don't know what age millennials. About how young Neil is, but Neil, Neil's, Neil's a young guy. Me, me Tell less me again, so. Taylor. Uh, but they did this survey, uh, and um, what they were doing is they were interviewing people between 26 and 41 to ask them about whether or not they felt they would ever be able to own a home in their lifetime. And sadly, 25% of respondents said no, that they felt they would not be able to own a home in their lifetime. 60% felt that they could, and then 15% kind of said that they didn't know. But across the board, 25%, that's you know one in four young Canadians between 26 and 41, felt that they would not be able to afford a home in their lifetime. First thing, don't we both fall into that? I just barely do. <laughs> yeah. I'm I just 38. enter it, and you're just... Yeah, okay. yeah. We got um, bookended. But... Uh, did they say, I guess, is there any more range on that? Because I feel like of that 25%, I bet you 75% were in the 26 to like 32 range. Yeah, no, they didn't break it down by that, but they did break it down by region. So it may not surprise you that it was highest in Ontario. In Ontario, 31% yeah. of yeah. those respondents felt they would not be able to own a home. Uh, lowest in Quebec, 15%. So people in Quebec, Quebec is still really feeling, affordable housing. Yeah, pretty confident. Um, but I was surprised at how consistent it was across the country because in BC, it was 24%. Uh, in Saskatchewan what? and Manitoba, 26%. BC should be like 55%. Yeah, and here in Atlantic Canada, uh, 23%. Uh, so kind of across the board, pretty consistent that people, uh, young people were feeling that they would not be able to afford a home. How does that work when the house price in BC is like two and a half times what it is in Atlantic Canada? But yeah, it, it did kind of strike me uh, curious as well. Um, I guess maybe, you know, we've talked about this before. Incomes aren't as high up here. Um, you know, maybe the cost of living in some other ways is a little bit higher. Yeah, I'm thinking in my head right now just like what the actual opportunity to buy a home was. And if you weren't aggressively interested in investing um, and necessarily didn't necessarily get a crazy career, take a crazy career path, um, and you're a single person, it would be not near impossible like in places like Ontario yeah. and BC, yeah. unless you're willing to commute for like two hours. Like to, to be able to say, I want to buy in the city, like there's probably a very 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 low chance so as terrible as that stat is i'm also like it's probably kind of realistic and i think like in general a lot of people talk about how the future might look like a more rent-based society um, yeah i could see it i could see it for like sure the uk like if you're young you don't expect that you'll ever end up buying a house in anywhere close to the downtown of london like it's just yeah yeah they raise families more commonly in flats and in rentals and things like the, that the, the, sure. the homes become generational yeah. like it becomes a lot more common to see generational properties yeah. and so i think 
that might become more common here too in Canada. Yeah, and what was kind of interesting too is 70 to 75% of people still felt that it was important. Like they still aspired towards home ownership. Um, mm. So, you know, that's people saying they don't think they're going to be able to do it even though they, they value its importance. Uh, on the flip side, you know, 60% of people said they would, you know, they did feel a high level of confidence that they were going to be able to buy a home. Um, but interestingly within that, just over half of those people that felt they'd be able to buy a home believed that they would have to relocate in order to buy a home. Okay, they said they, they, will, they will be yeah. able to buy, but they need they are going to need to move to do so. Yeah, like in Ontario, you need to move another province. Or even just, I need to move from Toronto to, to somewhere else, yeah. or, or, or so on and so forth. That's what I'm saying. And it's funny, again, you're, you're, you're beating on Toronto, but uh, only 22% of these young responders um, felt that they'd be able to purchase uh, in, in Toronto. So whereas like the overall average was 60%, in Toronto it dropped down to 22%. Yeah. And interestingly, in Calgary... 47%. So young people right in Calgary feel like they'll be able to buy in Calgary, and that's without relocation. And that's because I think there's the the career path trajectory that you can see there. Like there's a lot, Calgary's very much a town of opportunity. And like everyone knows somebody that started at a regular level and worked, worked their way up. Um, and where there's so much industry and there are options for high paying jobs and they're not necessarily super funneled into like, you need to know somebody plus need to have the right education plus be in the right timing. It's more like there's an opportunity for a lot of people to come and grow. And if you work hard, those places, I find Calgary and Alberta as a whole, they reward you for hard work. Like you're out there, they respect the hard work. And when you do well, you get rewarded. I find some of these other places, I mean, that's a generalization, but I think a lot of other places you can get stuck into a loop with like these big companies where you're just another person with another degree yeah, uh, yeah. and it's hard to get out of that, that cycle. Um, but yeah, interesting. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hit us up in the comments. Let us know if you think like, let us know where you're listening from and whether or not you feel it's going to be attainable in your, in your lifespan, or maybe you already have one place or, or even a couple places as always if you find anything interesting here please like follow subscribe ask us any questions on the comments i want to say like we just launched our last episode yeah um and already we're well on our trajectory to 100 plus likes as we've mentioned before um, all we had to do was give away 100 bucks all we had to do was give away 100 bucks <laughs> apparently um every dollar counts these days so people are really <laughs> doing it but now jokes aside we, we really appreciate you guys uh pressing like down there so uh what else you got what you see in the news you're saying before i hop, hop into my in some of my stuff about toronto because i was making fun of it a bunch the lot, one thing i'd like to do and you guys might can if you want to comment let us know if you're interested is this idea of homeownership being like the path um and i'd like to see what it'd be like if you just took your money and invested consistently like an s&p 500 and what it would cost by the time you bought the house, all the expenses, the interest, the carrying costs, and, and took it out over the 25 years. And then also looked at what the housing market did over the last 25 years and see if it actually works out to be worth your time and money. Um, because oh, there yeah, is an the, illusion that yeah. a personal home is always an asset and it's the best way to like save up money. It's not, not the be-all and end-all. Not be-all and end-all, really. But yeah, it's also about quality of life, right? That's anyways, fine. yeah, totally. I mean, there's a bunch of factors. We'll, get, we'll do an episode on that sometime. Um, the first one, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Speaking of Toronto. Yep. Eight foot wide house, 1,700 square feet above ground. So eight foot whoa, wide, whoa, everybody. Whoa. Let's just think for a second. The average house is probably... More than eight feet wide. I would say more than uh, eight feet I wide. I mean, if you're, if you're in a split entry, they're about 44 feet wide. Yeah. Uh, if you're in a typical narrow 35. city home here, you're about... Well, downtown, our lots are 33 wide, so you're typically about uh, 26 foot wide home yeah, so now, three times the way neighborhoods eight feet yeah. wide would be like your car wouldn't necessarily fit in, inside of that that's just you're going to be touching both sides. don't do that that's that realtors oh, yeah. that's that realtors corporate copyrighted yeah. move um but uh eight feet wide 1700 square feet on three stories man they got 1700 square feet on eight feet wide it's 53 feet long 53 feet long <laughs> this thing is long 
Uh, Maybe skinny, but it sure is long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, looks very much like a shipping container. It has alleyways on both sides. Um, oh, my gosh. Three bedroom, four bath. Oh It'd be the easiest house to measure. Like, how wide's the bedroom like? Well, it's eight by something. <laughs> um, Full basement. Man, okay. Listed for how many dollars? All right. Where, where in Toronto? Oh, God. He's asking me questions. I have to well, I mean, now. Toronto's a pretty big place. It's, it's somewhere in the downtown. All right, Who, all right, you're all not right. building an eight-foot so, white house in a farm or So it's new construction, field. though. Right? Uh, it's, so. it's, it's, a real, it's realist. Built oh a few years ago. God. They bought an empty lot. Okay, okay. Uh, it is in... Eight feet wide? Do, 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 do. All right. So it's got to be in a hip neighborhood. Near Little Portugal. I, I don't know where that is, so let me just... <laughs> but it's somewhere in, in a good neighborhood. It's relatively new construction. 1,700 yep. square feet? Yeah. They're all normal-sized houses on that street. Oh, my God. So it's got to be architecturally significant. It's pretty cool. It's 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 nice. Like I'll uh, I'll give you a little photo of the inside here. Like it's floating staircase. Okay. Damn, that is kind of cool. These are just a bunch of mirrors. Don't keep mind, that's not the house. That's the guy's mirrors. Yeah, yeah. Oh my uh, god, that's narrow. It's a heat pump. Um, okay, okay. Uh, I'm just gonna say something crazy. Like a thousand bucks a square foot. One point seven million. Ooh, Chandler's getting better at his TO numbers. One point nine five million. Is that what they're asking? Or that's what it's sold for. That's what they're asking. Man, it's it does cool. look pretty awesome. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I think I remember when this lot sold. Because it was a big deal when the lot sold. I feel it sold like, for I feel a lot like of money. Yeah, honestly. Crazy. So that's the very affluent end of Toronto. What about the other end? What? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not a that's not a twenty six to four. That's not one of our, our sad millennials buying that side. So, anyways, that was just a neat one. I wanted to uh, to show you that. That's super cool. Hopefully, we can get an image of that. Yeah, we're gonna get an image of that flipped up on there. Take a look at that. Um, but on the opposite end of things, sort of. Um, this is something that's happening in TO again. I'm just gonna keep beating on TO, but there was just a bunch of news that I saw that interested me. Fake deals. Fake deals. So there is a company in Toronto that is listing homes. They're, they should be million-dollar houses. Everything else I in the I know tons of agents on Instagram posting fake, fake deals. <laughs> Top producer. Yeah. <laughs> Number um, one. It is Paradise Developments Incorporated. But there's a there's a real company, Paradise Developments Incorporated, that's building out the actual neighborhood. Okay. There's another one that legally registered, uh, Paradise Developments Homes Limited, so they added homes in there, yeah, and they are listing the similar style like photos of the houses. Mm -hmm. The houses would usually probably be with about low millions. They're selling them for seven fifty, okay, and they're offering a two point nine five percent interest rate for twenty or for thirty years on these houses. Two point seven five percent. Sorry, a thirty year mortgage at two point seven five percent. Cheapers with a okay. seven fifty thousand. Now that's home. a fixed rate I can get behind. And they have another separate corporation that is then offering those loans, and they actually registered that corporation as well. And okay. So they have all the legal paperwork, has it all on there, and the lawyers are putting these through. So if you're on the buying end, you're buying lawyers like, yeah, okay. I mean, there's a development company on the other side of this, and there is because they don't do the but whole. But the homes due don't exist. What do you mean? The homes don't exist. What? They're 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 not. This is the part that I'm not understanding, and so. What I think, but like here's here's what they're actually trying to do. They're just trying to get the deposits. Yeah, yeah. So before it ever makes it to a lawyer, ever it ever trades hands. But if you got your lawyer to review the contract, when the lawyer reviews a contract, they're not double checking the PIDs. They're not checking anything. Oh they're just God. like, okay, well, cool. Like be. my client, Steve's well, got a house under offer. They're asking for a thirty-six thousand dollar deposit. And then they're probably just gonna say, yeah, we can't close on. It's probably more to get the pre-sales to a certain point that they'll get their financing. And no, then no, no, no. It's a completely fake company. The company owns no land. They're, they literally have the whole thing backed out. There's cease and desist that are sent out. Okay, so now they're obviously getting sued. The lawyer jail. contract, like they have pictures from the contract. The lawyer section's been crossed out. What they're going to do is they're just going to run for 10 months, see how many deposits they can get in, and then just go messing. 
Oh my gosh, I almost forgot to mention this. This is crazy, and this is a total digression, but you know what reminded me of when this like janky-looking contract came up? Mm-hmm. A landlord is being charged in Las Vegas because he signed a tenant to a lease. He threatened to evict her, a single mother, and he put in the lease that um, as part one of the conditions, she had to perform sexual favors on him. Are as we allowed part, to talk about this? As part, oh yeah, obviously it was that. in the lease. Is that in Vegas though? In Vegas, that is that illegal? That is definitely illegal. That's definitely oh. illegal. I, I, this, this is. I think it's it's it's. You're you're talking about like is like you know is sex trade legal in a certain state? Yeah, sex yeah, trade but is legal this, in Vegas. This is. In I I can't remember what. I mean, he was very confident about it too. He's like, it's in a contract. Blah blah blah. Contract law. This. Not only that, he's a real estate agent. <laughs> And a property manager, and he's like 80-something. He's like 81 years old. 81? He's like 81 years old, and an additional condition that he had in there was that she's not allowed to date anyone bigger, something like bigger and more aggressive than him. (laughs) Basically because she doesn't want... He doesn't want to get his ass beat. Exactly. (laughs) But they showed the contract. They showed the contract. Pause for a second. I, I don't at all condone this. It is kind of funny, some of his stipulations... It oh is terrible God. that she was having to do this if she if it was against her. Well, I'm assuming it was if he's 81. Um, but and he was still charging if, her if, rent. If, if it's legal to, I think it's like exploitive. Sex. Like you can't exploit someone, and you can say like threatening to evict someone. And it's like I, a trade of services. Uh, I think it's a borderline blackmail or a threat in this particular case. But he's fighting it. He thinks he's got a valid contract. And Why would you even get into this when you're 81? I don't know. But anyway, that's a huge digression. was not planning to talk <laughs> about that today, but it blew my mind when I saw that. That blew my mind, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, total, total change of lanes yeah. here. You got me all messed up now. Um, trigger rates. This is something you're going to hear in the news, and I think this is super, super important. I meant to tease it off the top here because it is so vital. We've talked about this before. Um, about variable rates and fixed rates and how you know there's a lot of expectation that by the time this comes out, like this episode I think comes out on the 5th, and then the Bank of Canada are, is going to announce another rate increase on the 7th. All indications are that it's going to be 75 basis points, which will take us up to, oh my gosh, uh, 3.25 for the overnight rate, which means most primes will be up to, I think, around... Five? No, five. It'll, it'll be more than that. Anyway, like 5.5 or something like that. Yeah. E- either way, um, what's Prime right now? Prime's 4.7, so yeah, it'd yeah. be 4.45 or 5.45, whatever. Um, we've been talking about this a lot. If you have a variable product that floats, meaning as the uh, prime rate goes up, you just kind of rise with it and your payment goes up, that stings and, and you're used to it. I mean, that's what I'm on and, you know, uh, it certainly stings as those goes up, and those those are going to continue to go up as we get these new Even increases. looking for rate hikes, um, but there's also these variable products where you're you've got an adjusted payment where your 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 payment actually sorry f- stays fixed, but the ratio between your interest and your principal uh, that's what gets adjusted as these rates increase. So really easy numbers. You may start off like a two thousand dollar mortgage payment, um, and say. 1500 or, or 1300 of it is interest, 700 is principal. And as these rates have been creeping up and creeping up and creeping up, maybe that goes to a thousand, a thousand. And then maybe it was something like, all right, now I'm paying 1300 in interest and only 700 in principal. And then maybe it's 
1700 in interest and 300 in principal, it is reaching the point for a lot of these variable Where rates. Where full interest payments or interest payments worth more than the actual payment itself. Exactly. And that is called the trigger rate. And a lot of people who are on these variable products are like, yeah, but it's fine. I'm on a variable product, but my actual payment doesn't change. If not this increase in September, then almost certainly the increase that follows um, b- before the end of the year, your trigger rate is going to happen and you're going to actually see an increase in your rate payment because you'll effectively be running a deficit. You will owe more interest per month uh, than your current payment, which means you'll be making nothing towards the principal. And in fact, the extra interest owing is going to be accruing. And so you'll be getting less and less equity uh, paid off on your property, which of course violates uh, the, the terms of your mortgage. And so you're going to have three options when this happens. One, is that you're going to you know, raise your rate. And there have been some estimates out there that this fall, this will impact about 80,000 Canadians to an average uh, increased payment of $200 a month, which is not an absurd amount, but it's going to be more for some people, less for others. And, you know, 200 bucks a month. If you're it, already it, tight after all the expenses all, you're facing, it adds up. It all adds up. Option two is that you can actually start making lump sum payments and say, okay, if I'm going to be running this deficit of... 25 to 100 dollars a month on my mortgage, I can throw down a lump sum payment of 5,000 bucks to sort of cover me for a little while. And the third option is the one the banks want you to take, which is that you'll opt into a fixed rate in order to give yourself mm. some predictability, which mm. you should not do. Um, but this is going to happen here in this very possibly the start of September for some people, and then certainly continuing into the fall. So if you're on a variable product but have a fixed payment, you need to talk to your broker about uh, what your trigger rate is and what that's going to look like, and you need to get ahead of it. Maybe even increase your payments now in advance of this um, so that you're already sort of staying above water on it. Good news, I took my variable at five and a half, so my trigger rate's another. (laughs) (laughs) Your trigger rate's at seven and a half? Yeah, I got room to play. Yeah. Um, that that is very intense. I never really thought about that, but uh, it is going to start impacting a lot of people. And this is, I'm like, it's funny if if defaults start taking place, the like bank stock will start dropping a bunch. But it's actually going to produ- provide a really great opportunity to buy in because uh, they're going to be making a fortune out of this. A well, fortune. Well, it's interesting. You'll see all of the banks publish like their earnings, right? Yeah. And all of their earnings are way down. Oh my gosh, our earnings are way down. Our, yeah. our, it's because they set aside these reserves for basically like um, debt losses, like loan defaults. And they're dumping into those right now. Yeah, yeah. And so those go on their books uh, against their earnings. So it looks like their earnings are way down, but it's only because they're putting aside more and more reserves uh, for, for lending defaults possibly in the future. Uh, um, but it is interesting to see, like, is this going to be another buying opportunity? Because I guess something like Q1 of this year in the States, something like 28, I got it here somewhere, 28% of family home sales in the U.S. in Q1 were by investors. Yeah, we talked about that a bit. Yeah, who think that there's going to be an opportunity It's interesting here. when a lot of people own multiple properties. There's also the idea of people actually having, like, cottages and stuff like that where they were going nuts for a while. And now it's, like, the opposite where if your personal home, your payment's now rolling over and starting to increase, you're going to get rid of the auxiliary items. And there's only so much stuff on the toy market. Things are starting to fall. Car market's starting to fall. So then you got to start looking at, oh, maybe I don't need that cottage anymore. Even I was thinking when I was looking at a second yeah. house right now, I'm like... That's gonna be a lot to carry, especially if rates keep ripping. Like to have multiple properties and stuff like that, it's it's a lot of work, money, property taxes, insurance. But what's uh, interesting is like who's gonna be the buyer? It's gonna be opportunistic people who have cash, um, and the concern is gonna, that it's gonna be a lot of corporate 
big investors buying up the single yeah. family stuff. And I'm not talking about, you know, the landlord, you know, buying another one here or there. I'm talking like, I mean, we talk about Blackstone here every couple months, <laughs> Chandler, man. And Chandler is like the, the evil corporations. They're, well, like, they're, you know, they have something like $941 billion in U.S. real estate assets, $14 billion here in Canada. Uh, they own 25,000 single-family homes already in the U.S., which is a tiny amount. That's less than like half a percentage. If but it's 25,000 yeah. single-family homes. Uh, and apparently, uh, corporate landlords have acquired... Okay, hold the phone here. Th- one the second 20- here. Let me, let me hear this. So since, since the subprime crisis of 2008, which was yeah. like the last big crash, yeah, yeah. where all of a sudden you can buy estate. homes for like a huge discount, these corporate landlords started buying up single family homes. We're not talking apartment buildings. They started buying up single family homes. And since like in those 15 years, well, 14 years since that collapse, uh, corporate landlords have acquired 350,000 single family homes in the US. That's not nothing. I would bet my bottom dollar that 50 to 70% of those single family homes were purchased all within like neighborhoods or they're buying entire neighborhoods out at once, yep. like from banks. Like banks, like, look, we default on this entire street. Or developers who can't unload products. Or developers yep. can't unload products. They bought the entire neighborhood or it was a purpose-built yep. neighborhood with single family homes. Like the ones the ones that everyone got all heated about at the start of this year was Texas homes being purchased, single family homes being bought, stripped from people's hands. And it was single family homes in a condo development. So they couldn't even be purchased necessarily single by each person. Yeah. Uh, and they were purpose built. When they asked the builder, he's like, I had bought, built these for BlackRock. Like I, they had pre-ordered these effectively. Yeah. And yeah. I was building to feed, feed their demand. And realistically, the other thing is, like I said before, with condos, a lot of these pre-ordered or these neighborhood purchases, if they hadn't have bought them, then unfortunately consumers couldn't have bought them and the inventory just never would have come through. And so realistically, there'd be even less properties available, whether it's renting or buying. Yeah. But it's still just interesting to think because some of these groups that are going to, you know, have an easier access to cash than most yeah. people, they can buy up distressed sales en masse in a way that, totally. you know, e- even small mom and pop investors couldn't couldn't come close to touching. And where Blackstone opened an office in Toronto, people made a big deal about that, even though they've said so far they're not going to be buying single family homes in, in Canada. It's still kind of interesting. There's a um, lot of big institutions starting to look at Canada now. Oh, yeah, it's, I mean, we finally hit that radar because I think obviously consistent house growth. Also, the inventory crisis for these guys is good news, and uh, they can see a lot of run up on that pricing. But yeah, so anyway, I, that's kind of a digression too. But I really wanted to get into those trigger rates. Uh, what else? So this think? is this is one that is kind of near and dear to me in some ways, but it's it's a crazy one. It's another Toronto headline, but the rents are so high in Toronto. How high are they? <laughs> and we have yeah, students. <laughs> so the rents are so high now in Toronto. There are students literally living in homeless shelters oh, to get housing, and it's Your to the point. Your needs a little work, but um, well, jeepers. Yeah, they this shelter that I, that we're looking at has thirty three percent are students. Thirty three percent of the people are students. Um, and you it's were an, talking about this too. It's like an hour are... away from the school, and like one of the they they interviewed one of the tenants or one of the students who did not want to be named, but they were like, I could not find anything. I couldn't find someone to live in an apartment with me. I looked at basements. I looked at everything and they were valedictorian coming out of their school. So they're not like a slump student or anything like that. Like this is somebody that's yeah, not very who probably led it to the last minute. And they blah, didn't blah, necessarily blah, leave it to the last minute. They were all over it, but they physically could not find anything. They were submitting applications, getting beat, getting priced out. Like there, there's bidding wars on rentals. And so now they're living in a homeless shelter. And this one, when they talked to the, the person who ran the shelter, they said literally 33% of the people who are there every night are students. 
That's wild, man. And and uh, we talked a little bit about this here because we're such a university town in Halifax that I was really concerned about the rental market here this month in September because I don't know where these students are going to go. Like I don't, I don't it's see gonna be any, insanity because I don't see I don't see any places for rent out there. So yeah, the schools already released that their residences aren't. Some schools are doing just all work from home stuff. Like they're saying now, all of our courses are online because we don't have capacity in person for the students. And that might actually be kind of mm. more the solution that you start to see is that more and more of it gets pushed to online based systems and you come in for labs and things like that, that need to be done in person presentations, labs, those, those things take place like that. Um, yeah. but they're unable to do consistent courses in person because yeah, living, living near campus is he- campus is also is like hellish expensive. It's not like usually it's like, okay, Toronto's expensive. I bet you living around campus is like another expense, yeah. right? Like near university is always like probably 10 or 15% more than the average of the, of the yeah. city. What are you seeing per room rental rates in Halifax? Thousand bucks. What? Yeah. At least if you have a nice furnished room with like an eight month. Oh, furnished. Okay. Okay. With, okay. with an eight month rent, thousand, 1200. If it's not that nice, 800 to a thousand. Uh, unfurnished for sure. I'd say 800 bucks, 700 yeah. bucks. I have, I have a building near, near the school. And like, if we need to fill up a room and it's not a fully renovated house and they're not furnished rooms while well, we, we put in a bed, we put in a bed and, uh, they have oh, a closet goodness. and a desk and chair and they're getting 700 bucks like that, 750 bucks. And it's not. Renovated. Man, I remember it was 400 bucks a room, maybe 500 bucks a room when I was in university. Uh, and I lived in one place, and yeah, it was just some some randoms in this place. Um, and there was like six or seven of us, and then I knew these girls. And they lived seven of them in a house, seven girls in this house. I think yeah. they each paying five hundred bucks. It was actually on Green, which is where. Oh no way! Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, I'm trying to think where they'd be. There's a couple of big houses on, on Green Street, yeah, it's right but near down, near, yeah, yeah. Near, near Barrington. But um, man. There, there's a lot. There's Ooh. a lot of that. There's a lot of like all, all the bucks. homes around those universities here, and that's every. Every university town, the houses are always cut up into a max amount of rooms, but the the rents are out of this world. Um, but yeah, this is this is getting to be a pretty serious thing, and this is not something that just started. Um, they're saying this shelter said they started seeing people in 2019. The thing that blew my mind the most mm. about it was they're an hour commute from the school. Well, also like the sad thing is like those beds are needed for homeless people. Yeah, right, and, and it's it's hard to prior. I mean, I guess those students are homeless also. Like it's it's a hard thing to kind of conceptualize that, but. Um, you know, I can't imagine. I'm shocked that they could even find the beds because you couldn't find those same beds here in Halifax. That's for sure. Um, kind of related, but but different at the same time. Um, a lot of places have been struggling to find accommodations for um, workers. You yeah. know, short-term workers, seasonal yeah. workers, uh, trades workers having to go into these areas, and it's been especially bad in tourist areas because. You know, if you're if you're a small municipality trying to get some infrastructure, or some work done in your town, but you're also a big tourist destination, you can't house those workers, mm-hmm. and as a result, you can't get get the task j- done. And um, of course, in those areas, Airbnb is a big part of that. Yeah. Um, a lot of the rentals are converted to to Airbnbs. So I found this thing in uh, Sedona, Arizona, uh, which is has about 6,500 units. Like it's not a big place at all. Yeah. Uh, but it's a tourist hub. A thousand of them, of the sixty-five hundred housing units they have, are on Airbnb. A thousand of them, Jeez. and so what they've done, and, and as a result, they couldn't get any work done. They couldn't bring any contractors, so they've started a program now where they'll pay between three thousand and ten thousand dollars to a landlord to rent a unit out for uh, as an incentive, a, an additional bonus, if a landlord rents their unit 
uh, out as opposed to Airbnb or, or Verbo's it. Um, and they have to do it for at least a year, but they'll get anywhere between $3,000 and $10,000 as a little incentive. And then I found another one in Colorado where they got as high as $20,000 an incentive to rent your unit out on a fixed-term, 12-month lease as opposed to short-term. That's insanity. It's yeah. great for the landlord. Um, yeah, like that's there's got to be a sweet spot there where it's like, yeah, I think I will just rent it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, the thing, all I can think about is like something, something's going to change and they got to incentivize the the construction of things. But I think there's also just the, the practices and the methods have to change. Like the standard way that we're building stuff is so slow and so expensive Right. Something's yeah, got to give, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also this idea of like portable housing too. Like for a lot of these places, it's hard because if you're a developer, you don't want to go out and put up an 80 unit because they need 80 beds when they're building this new road or whatever it may be. And then you know it's going to dry up the next year. Yeah. Like it's like, yeah. so Donna might be like, okay, so we're building a new water treatment plant. It's going to take three years. It's going to employ 150 people. You know, once that's done, it's going to employ 30 people. Yeah. But and you so had to you had to house 100. So how do you? Yeah, and, and the, the, they've said like, listen, we do not want to discourage short-term rentals because they actually like we need that's them what, as that, well. That town's right? basis like, of income is short-term rentals. I know it's it's a catch-22. Like so, in these tourist towns, they're often pro short-term rental because it continues to drive people um, to their communities and to their municipalities. Um, but it's a double-edged sword. In bigger markets, we've said this for a, a time. Like I think. The way they're going, they're not going to incentivize. I don't think people are going to start coming to an Airbnb landlord in Halifax and saying, "Hey, you know, we're from the city. We're going to give you ten thousand dollars." No, they're going to be. Like, we're from the city. We're going to ban your. your Airbnb. Yeah, they're going to say like, <laughs> "It's either you stop doing it, or we charge you ten thousand dollars." Exactly. Yeah, and that's what it's going to be. You're going to be disincentivized, not incentivized. Um, so it'll be interesting, but uh, but see, this is this is I, and this is why giving the ten thousand dollars makes more sense because you're about to have a rush of people that are going to race down there to set stuff up to try and gain more. To get more units, hmm. right? When you start offering or dolling out cash, people yeah. are like, "Holy crap!" They're housing people and they're giving them a ten thousand dollar bonus. I'll flip up some units. Like I'll put some units up, or I'll be yeah, incentivized yeah. to build a duplex or a four a four unit or a six unit or even a thirty or a fifty. Yeah. Uh, versus here, when they are going to say, "No, we're going to ban you and we're going to fine you ten grand," people are like, "Why the hell do I want to yeah, potentially no, build?" Like it's good point. it's it's such a bad way to handle it is by constantly trying to beat it back. Um, and that's, again, why we've talked about before, but the states has all these in- rules to incentivize housing construction and why people can make a lot of money through apartment buildings or flipping buildings or whatever it may be. Um, and down there, on average, their rents are dramatically lower, and oftentimes they have an over-inventory problem. They yeah. have a high vacancy issue, which is a good thing. If you're someone who's living, that's going to... The only people that don't love that, obviously, if you're a single-family homeowner and the housing prices are fluctuating a lot, but on the apartment side, like, that's a valuable thing for any tenant is to have an oversupply because then people are going to be doing everything to get you into the units. The buildings are going to be kept up really well to get you there. Yeah. They're going to add amenities. 100%. Like it, it makes a competitive market. So anyways, yeah. I can yeah. go on about that forever. Yeah, let us know in the comments what you think of that. And and if you're a young person out there, what, what you think, what's your level of confidence in the market? Uh, if you're looking for a place to rent, how's it going in your particular area right now? Are you seeing some of these things? Don't forget to please like, follow, subscribe questions down below yeah so th- and thanks for listening to this point so we're about to switch studios here we have yeah. our guests we're going to talk about kind of what a brokerage is how much money they're making what how many agents they got what the average agent makes so we got some interesting stuff coming up that i think yeah. i just get that question a lot from you guys where it's like why don't you start your own brokerage or like what kind of money are they making or what kind of money are you making so we're going to try and dive into that we'll see what we get i'm also super curious to see what they're feeling behind the scenes with the shifting market they have a really right. good oversight because they're seeing data from hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah, yeah, and during a slowing market. Yeah, right. Totally. So, so 
Here we go. Welcome back. We moved studios. And yeah, our old studio. I'll, we're yeah, back in the in here. OG studio, but I want yeah. my headphones. I know. I know. It's different being back in here. Before we jump into anything, uh, like we mentioned, so we hit 100 likes two episodes ago, and so we said we we're going to give away a phone call with a listener. Um, so we picked someone out, MK Deuce. Uh, D-O-O-S-E. Yeah, yeah. We'll figure out a way to get in touch with you. I guess we can message you or our team will message you through YouTube. Yeah. So thanks so much for the like. Thanks so much for the question, too, because he asked about the legality around um, cameras on apartment buildings, which I'd never thought about before. Yeah. I think short answer, um, in the bathroom, not okay. Yeah. Uh, around in the, the apartment, ex- <laughs> also not okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not I was a little too specific. Yeah. No. Um, but I think, you know, you're allowed to have security cameras on the exterior of a building. I never thought any more of it than that. Always. Hallways too, eh? Yeah, interior hallways and, and the exteriors of the buildings. I have them on all, all of ours. Yeah, I have them by my storage lockers, parking, yeah. front door, back door. As an owner, yeah. I think it's a smart thing to do because you will have a lot of theft and shit like that. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, so MK Goose. It. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. So. so we're jumping into it. Like we said, today we're going to be talking about brokerages. And we have our guests on that are the owners. And they run brokerage that we work at, Remax Nova. So we're going to introduce them really quick. But we have Craig Snow, Nas Clamey, and Ryan Hartland. So, hey guys. Hey, how you doing? Here in the flesh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in the flesh. Yeah. So we thought this was interesting because people, we get so many questions from people asking about being a real estate agent. Uh, and then because we started our new group, people are like, oh, is that a brokerage? I'm like, no, we're still Remax. No, I'm like, oh, well, how does a brokerage work? Have you already thought about doing a brokerage? And I, I have to admit, when I, before I got my license, I'm like, oh my gosh, it makes so much sense. You start your, your own, own business and, and, you know, start a yeah. brokerage. But there's a lot that goes into it, probably more than I would ever want to bite off but you know you guys decided to do it so more power to you so let's get some intros first so we'll start with craig yeah craig snow i've been in the business for 23 years and uh mostly in the commercial sales uh but then i worked my way up and about five years ago bought into the brokerage and in the last couple of years you know went more heavily with my partners here uh, naz and and ryan you were doing residential at the very I, I start. Start, yeah, I started off, like in 99 when I got in the business, I started off really in new construction. Yes. And then I worked myself into resale. But then around 2003, 2004, I branched off and went 100% into the commercial world. So, But I, I deal with more on the higher level commercial. Yeah. So more of the pension funds and, and the institutional buyers than I do on the day-to-day local buyers. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know how much you've sold, number-wise? Uh, Real my career? Value? Yeah. Just about... Almost a billion dollars now. That's Crazy. it. I, I would yeah. maybe more. Almost than a billion. Yeah, I was yeah. like, you're probably over yeah. a bill. I was trying to do a number yeah. there not long ago, and I think yeah. it was around around a billion dollars. What was the most stores you did in one transaction? Do you remember? Uh, one transaction was uh, 400 and, 454 doors. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it was worth about $80 million. Yeah. Right? Pretty good deal. No, under two hundred. Yeah. 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 Charging so, a full yeah. 5%. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't work that way. No, no. And I just did a, I just did one there a couple of weeks ago. I just put it under. It won't close till next year, but it's about seventy-two million dollars, and uh, that's about just just over two hundred doors. So, nice. but it takes time to put these together. Years of, of putting together relationships and, and working towards. You got to, you know, a lot of people think they can just jump into the high level commercial, but. You, you know, these people are looking for reputations and trustworthy and honesty. And You yeah. probably grew with your clients, too, I would say, to an extent. I did. Right? Like some of these guys, you started with them and they were buying smaller buildings and now they've just kind of progressed. And you've helped them progress. Yeah, but the institutional stuff is different, though. Institutions right? It really is. Yeah. Totally different. You know what? I, I started off clients. one day. I mean, I had a, a local investor looking for a 40-unit building. I was out calling around. And when I come across the wife of a startup, uh, REIT, that was starting here in Halifax, 
and said, hey, you should, you should meet my uh, husband and his partner. They've started a company they want to grow. So I, I started working with them, and I've sold them probably half of that billion dollars worth of properties over the years and helped them to go from you know a 30-unit building that they own in Moncton to now being one of the largest landlords in Canada. So that was uh, that was sort of like what jatapulted my uh, career. And then all the REITs started looking at me and saying, hey, we want you to help us too. So. Yeah, and once you get on the listing side of things, then the That's REITs it. and the institutions come to you direct and say, well, find us more of that product. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Neat. Right Neat. Nas? Nasty well, Nas. Nasty Thomas. This is kind of awkward now. You guys got me following Craig. <laughs> um, <laughs> after that kind of intro, I really... Uh, you're a master of your domain, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm the residential guy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my name is Nas Klamey, and I've been in real estate for about 17 years. And, uh, yeah, I'm the residential guy. You're, the residential you're also king. one of the owners now as well? I am a full-front owner now and loving it. Yeah. And you've been doing over 100 deals for years, I would say. Yeah. Like, you've had yeah. some crazy, crazy years. A lot of people in the city will definitely know who you are. Yeah. Um, and like you said, you've been in the business for a long time, but you've been crushing it. Like, yeah. No, I've been very, very blessed, but uh, but again, it's uh, this ownership thing is a whole nother level. <laughs> I tell you right now, it changed your game. Yeah, it did. It really did, and uh, and we've been very blessed as uh, once we partnered up um, with the help of actually guys like you guys. Mm. Um, Trying in your gears. No, no. You know what? A lot of <laughs> a lot of the newer agents in the business were calling Neil. Yeah, yeah. Asking him what it's like at Remax, yeah. and then a lot of our experienced agents called Chandler yeah, asking true. for help. Mm-hmm. True. So with the support of the other people in our brokerage, it just keeps making us look 10 times better as a family. So True, true. Are we, are we the top producing brokerage now in the, in the city? Oh. Uh, in the city, it, it's kind of hard to, to narrow that down, but um, because you can't, it's hard to draw the, the boundaries of like who's in the city, who isn't, right. that kind of thing. So yeah, like yeah. we'd be certainly up there in the top yeah, yeah. for sure. And like production yeah. is like a hard thing because... <laughs> It's like sometimes a place has a bunch of agents, but they don't necessarily do individually as well. But the sum of their exactly. parts is kind of hard. Yeah. Like um, I know we're not maybe the biggest number of agents wise, but man, production wise. Yeah, we, yeah, we, no, got, we, got, we got, got some very there, productive man. people. And see, yeah. and yeah, the yeah. best thing is Ryan will always give you the politically correct answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, that was so, very political. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's Ryan. Which is the perfect Ryan. time to introduce yeah. yourself. Yeah. So yes. last but not least, yeah. Ryan yeah, Hartland. Thanks, thanks, uh, thanks for having me. So yeah, Ryan Hartland. I've been uh, been licensed since uh, early 2004 now uh, and uh, got into the business, uh, basically got into the business of starting out uh, my own brokerage with a partner at the time and uh, didn't know anything about real estate and uh, basically equate that to like, skiing down a hill and hitting every tree on the way down like it was uh, quite a quite an event but uh, but yeah many years later we joined the Remax brand in 2010 and uh, and then a few years later we jumped into the ownership side of things with these guys and it's been uh, yeah it's it's been a blast but I mean my my day-to-day is a lot different than than uh, than you guys I'm, I'm more or less the guy that's trying to keep everybody out of jail and uh, you know, put, put out <laughs> fires when they come. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, because your license is different. This is something people won't appreciate because if they don't know the inner workings yeah. of the industry, there's a license to sell real estate, which is what Neil and I have and also what Naz and, and, and Craig have. And then there's a license to manage a real estate company, which is a broker's license, and that's what you have. And, and do you guys have your broker's license yeah, now as well? I'm yeah, I'm yeah. the manager. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, Ryan kind of liaises li- with uh, – the governing body with our regulator and that kind yeah. of thing, yeah. yeah. So we've got a couple of managing associate brokers, uh, Naz being being one of them that uh, that have the same sort of same sort of status license, but uh, but I guess I'm the one ultimately on the hook at the end of the day with 
broker of record, if, if you want to call it that. See, so, you're, yeah. I listened to your intro, and you guys introduced us as your bosses. In actuality, Ryan is all of our boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ryan yeah. is the yeah. boss. He is yeah. the boss. It doesn't seem yeah. like that uh, on a day-to-day basis. But when it's like, oh, this yeah. seems like trouble. Better call Ryan. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. about to say. Yeah, every time I'm skirting on trouble, it's a yeah. quick call to Ryan. Yeah. How <laughs> offside am I with what I'm doing right now? But well, all kidding aside, I mean, I made a joke about that, and, and you, you are too. But, I mean, you know, we, we have a very compliant brokers we, you know we're uh, I'm, I'm very blessed to, to have the people that we have there we've got some really good representatives of the brokerage youtube being, being of course part of that so uh yeah it, it does make my job a lot easier totally yeah, yeah. right on. so i mean i think the first question we want to ask and we kind of chatted about it a little bit but is how did you guys go from like being agents or being in the position of being a broker and stuff like that to owning your own brokerage you did it right off the start yeah, I kind of went through an up and down kind of path through there, but uh, you know that was more or less just us having a franchise opportunity back many years ago, and, okay. uh, and we kind of jumped in and, uh, and co- contracted a broker at the time to do that, and yeah. then eventually got in long enough that we could be brokers ourselves, uh, my partner and I, and then kind of took it from there. But yeah. yeah, for you, for you two. Uh, so for me, about five years ago, an opportunity arose where I became a, like a junior partner in the company. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it sort of opened my eyes as to the world of, of owning a brokerage. It's it's not what one would think. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of headaches that come along with it. And and it's you know, everybody thinks that brokers make all this money, but it's a very marginal business. So you've got to be very careful in what you're investing in and so on. And and then as as the years went on, I, I realized that the brokerage from from my mentality, because my mentality is not the same as anybody else, I, I found that the brokerage was like a traditional brokerage. And so I reached out to Naz and said, Naz, like, you know, why don't you come in? And we had a meeting with Ryan and he said, why don't the three of us buy this brokerage and let's turn it into something real special, something that really concentrates on the agents. Because most brokerages, they think about themselves, there's a hierarchy there and stuff like that. And we didn't want that kind of a feeling. We wanted a family atmosphere, but somewhere where all the agents felt special. So that's yep. we were able to do that successfully, the three of us, and, and we've made something that we think is, is something you'll never see again. Yeah. And we're going to continue to grow on that. It's more of a lifestyle with us as opposed to just you know a, a company that charges fees and so on. There's more to it than that. It is like a franchise model, though, effectively. If someone wants to compare it to something, it's not that dissimilar to like being a franchise owner of any yep. other company. It's 100% I guess franchise. In yep. this case, there's a lot more um, liability exposure uh, with what we do for a living. Um, you know, there's, there's, if you're owning a subway, I guess someone could slip and fall on, yeah. you know, the, the sauce. <laughs> they can slip and fall <laughs> on a brokerage too, yeah. just for you the know, record. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But, like, you know, we're, we're dealing in multi-million dollars worth of transactions. So I know, like, there's all these trust account implications that yeah. we have, um, just the reporting of our sales and, and keeping track of our, our records and all that. It's, it's pretty high-end, you know, slightly boring stuff, but um, it's a lot that goes into it. It's heavy-handed as compared to just, say, opening uh, a normal franchise of something Yeah, like, well, how big is the crew that runs your guys' operation at Nova? Uh, From an administrative point of view? We've got probably 20, between 20 and 25 from the administrative and managing associate brokers, like everybody that sort of has a day-to-day. And then we have external suppliers, like our accountants and lawyers and so on that basically keep us on top of things so mm-hmm. yeah that's not a small business no you were saying before when we walked in you guys are doing probably upwards of almost a billion dollars in sales as a, as a whole brokerage in yeah. a year yeah we do about one 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 two you know that's insanity yeah. like but that that that's a new high right like what, what's the growth been since like 2018 yeah, well, the volume, yeah, the volume just per sale on, on a house uh, obviously has increased to, you know, 20, 25% just in the last year, year and a half. So, I mean, it's it's had similar 
similar um, um, you know results for us. And then of course we've had we've had agent growth yeah. or organic agent growth on top of that as well, which has expanded upon that for sure. So yeah, it, it has been last 2021 was our probably our highest uh, sales volume we've had. Yeah. How how much higher do you think that is? Like- over uh, I would we say that doing. was probably like 30, 35 percent higher uh, than the previous year. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. How many yeah. agents do we have now? Thirty. Yeah. We've got about two hundred and eleven licensees. I think. Right I now. remember we used to have like one hundred and fifteen or one hundred and thirty. Yeah. 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 No, yeah well, myself and Naz when we started, what was there about one hundred and five agents? Wasn't yeah. It? There about was one hundred and five when we started. So. Yeah. But in, yeah. in the industry now, like in the province, there's a, there's just under twenty two hundred licensees, I think. And yeah. Like, we that talked was about like that in episode. How much we grew? Yeah. That's right. I mean, it's it's crazy, right? Yeah. What percentage of our agent growth do you think is totally brand new agents and what mm. percentage is like agents coming over uh it's it's almost like a 60 40 really like it's it, you could almost argue 50 50 in, in some cases we've been pretty uh um yeah pretty pretty benef- um what do you call fortunate? it fortunate you're fortunate yeah. yeah thanks um you know to have a lot of a lot of great agents coming from other brokerages too that have just kind of they share in the same stuff that craig's kind of saying that kind of same culture yeah but we've been monitoring that as well we don't yeah. want an influx of just newer agents yeah we want to yeah. make sure we had a, a good uh, good number of experienced agents coming in as well. Yeah. yeah, the newer agents probably, it's like training a new employee. Like you would rather keep the employees you have super happy and super productive because they don't tax the admin as much. They don't tax the training as much. You know, just like any other job environment, you just have to bring in a bunch of people. Yeah. You know, you got to train them up a little bit more and, and yeah. Okay, so with that being said, how many deals on average is an agent doing in our office? With oh, 200 agents. In our office, I mean, we're, we're upwards of like, you know, 10, 12 deals a year on average, which is, which is um, you know, probably the average in the industry for many years was like five, six deals a year, which is, yeah. which is Both crazy. of those numbers so are going like, to blow people away. I know. Because so a lot of people listen, listen yeah. and oh, they yeah. watch, you know, Selling Sunset and yeah. all this crap. Uh, they're great shows. I shouldn't call them crap. Yeah. No, no, yeah. They're great shows, yeah. 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 Selling Sunset's really shows. dropped off yeah. after the first season. But, um, <laughs> you want it? No. Million Dollar Listing is, is no, I've phenomenal. I've seen the show, yeah. Um, never seen but it. But people think it's a lot of transactions and, and all this, but to hear you say that the average is around 10 to 12, I mean, that's a transaction a month, obviously, simple math, and the average home sale in Halifax right now is probably around $560,000. 560, so you know, two points. Yeah, you're, you're, you're yeah. T- ten to twelve k per transaction. Time you're grossing one hundred to one hundred fifty thousand bucks you, a year. You're, you're doing all right, but there's major expenses associated with that, and it's a hard, hard grind. I always tell people like, you'd be much better off getting seventy five percent of that income like guaranteed on a two week paycheck than doing it through real estate because you know we have to pay into our own retirement, we have to take out our own health, <laughs> medical, and dental insurance, all that <laughs> sort of stuff. Like it all adds up, but. That number is going to shock people to hear to that it's so four low. or five days a week. Five yeah, five exactly. Or six days and a week. those are only the ones yeah. that close too, yeah. right? So think of all the, you know you had to you had to sell fifteen or sixteen to close you know eleven or twelve, right? Yeah. So there's always the ones that you don't get get all across the gas the money driving too. around. Well, yeah, yeah. And like, the, the tax money. People yeah. tax people don't you're not accustomed to actually putting away your own taxes. Also, you have to do that. Whereas like yeah. you actually have to set aside your HST. Like it's a lot, which is why I've always told people like you have to get to a certain transaction base. And I think it's probably around like 20 deals to really feel like you've got a secure career that is mm. worth the squeeze of that effort, man, because it is, it can be a grind. Totally. Yeah. yeah. How do you guys see the market going now? Like moving forward. So everyone's doing really good right now. Numbers are up. 
we're talking about it all the time on here. Interest rates definitely slowed things down. You guys saw that. The volume changed. It did. Moving forward, how do you guys see the market changing? Well, I know. If I look back at when I got in the business 23 years ago, I mean, rates were hoovering around 8 8.5%. Yeah. And the real estate market was very busy at the time. But it was busy for those that went out and hunted the business down. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, there's a lot of people that get into this business. They feel that the phone's going to ring. They feel there's not much effort into it. And it is a it is a seven-day-a-week grind that you mm-hmm. put in. And, and the results can be there. Uh, so I see, you know, really what we're seeing right now is an adjustment to the rates because we've been used to these historically low rates. So, you know, a variable right now is still around 3.5%. That's still really low. I mean, when I yeah. bought my first home, it was 14.5%. So, you know, to put, that into per- put that into... After, per- after this rate <laughs> increase in September, rates will be the highest since 2008, though. Yeah. Which it's is true. the highest since I've got in the industry. I talked about this with a bunch of people you like fourteen and a half percent mortgage. Fourteen and a half percent when oh, I first my started. Yeah. Had like eighteen, oh, close to eighteen to twenty. Yeah. Yeah. My dad would update his variable mortgage like every week. But when you look at that, even when rates were that high, <laughs> yeah. there was a lot of real estate being sold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Even back when I, when, like I look back at those times. I mean, if you were out there, you know, working and doing your open houses and representing your clients. You did really Volume well. In re- you did really yeah. well in real estate, and yeah. those that didn't want to put the time and effort into it were the ones that got out of the business. Yeah. Well, that's so. the thing. Like we're, the problem we're having right now, well, not not the problem, but the volume of transactions per agent is going down. You must be seeing that so far this year. Yep, down yeah. this year. The, the volume to the last per, per agent, yep. uh, the number of deals, but prices are still up. People don't want to hear this, but prices are still up about ten percent from last year. Absolutely, even, right? That's like right. we went up and then we're coming back down a little bit, and we'll see if we kind of. You know, level off. Yeah, like how how yeah. how how big this pullback will be. But um, as a brokerage, like, do you feel some pressure of like, okay, in order to keep our total volume, we do have to increase our agents when the number of deals, like, say that twelve per agent average drops down to ten. You know, you kind of have to add a couple more agents to the pool. Was that kind of? Um, we kind of look at it differently. Yeah, like we've we, increased our training, right? Like that's well, and that's that's the key. I, as you know, you remember coming up as a younger agent. It's the there was there's tough times always. Mm-hmm. There's ups and downs in this industry, and the thing is, is the strong will survive. So it's just preparing the agents properly, yeah. because mm-hmm. again, the market we just came from was a market we've never seen. In, in all of our yeah. careers, yeah. right? So uh, that's not the norm. Yeah. The norm is what we're going into, which is what we were accustomed to. Yeah, yeah, more balanced market. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, so we training. feel that not, you know, increasing the agents is one thing, but increasing the training and the knowledge of how to go out there and actually work in the market, yeah. Yeah. that to us is more important. Right? And services for, for services existing agents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, agents, kind of thing. across the market, do you think we're reaching... Like we, we we talked about this in a previous episode, like that maybe this isn't a great time for someone to get their license. Yeah, I, I we both said that we don't think right now is a good time for people to be getting their license because of the saturation of agents that are out there. Now, to what Craig said, if you are a hustler, that's a different story. Yeah, if you're yeah. a hustler in any business, yeah, there's never yeah, really a bad time. Well, look, when I was getting there? into business 23 years ago, I had three senior agents that were at that that talked to don't me. Don't do this. And they said, "Don't do this, Craig. Yeah. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Unless you got like six to eight months income in the bank, just don't do yeah. it." And I said, "You know what? Now the challenge is there. Yeah. I really want to get into this and, and, and give it a shot." And I think you know it, it can be very rewarding. You've seen. I, it. I yeah. think this is the best time for an agent yeah, to get in. Absolutely, <laughs> because that was absolutely. that was smoke and mirrors what we yeah. went through. Yeah, it was. So totally. you come in. Totally. There's going to be some people. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was like, it was easy. Yeah. Now now agents are calling us. This yeah. is the phone calls we get. They're like, so my listing's not selling. What do I do? 
Mm-hmm. Okay, well, this is the reality. This, is what, do, yeah. this, this is what we used to do here. Yeah. yeah. This is why, like, as an experienced or hustling agent, yeah. it's super easy. Because that's, oh, man, there's going to be expired listings? Yeah, yeah. Like, so, think, think of how many buyers you had to run around with. Like, yeah. you've got buyers now. Um, you've got great opportunity to close a lot more transactions. That's right. So I think there is opportunity within it, and it's yeah. going to come back to you know, who's actually a better agent, like who can actually Correct. get this property well, sold. I'm, I'm sure, Chandler, sure. you, you, just, you, I mean, you yeah. just have to go back a few years yourself. I mean, and, yeah. and sure, Neil, when you first got it. I said, I'm you think about I only know greener yeah. pastures. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think to have a listing for six months and it not yeah. sell and yeah. go through yeah. multiple yeah. price reductions, yeah. right? But that's that's sort of more of a balanced market. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's the way yeah. it should be. True. Yeah, I was dealing with an agent the other day, and like because it was it was actually a difficult negotiation. Right, and I actually had a, a junior agent ask me about how to do an amendment because mm. they hadn't done a they deal done that it. required an That's amendment. Right. <laughs> because for a while there was like, well, we got the inspection report back, and uh, it's not great, but we're, we're just, just going to go through with the yeah. deal. Yeah. And in this case, like, it's like, all right, we have a bit more leverage, and you know, maybe we're going to go back to the seller and ask a few things mm-hmm. to be to be fixed here. Um, they're like, how do you do that? How does one amend a deal? <laughs> exactly, because they hadn't been in that long. It was like the first time, mm. first time doing one. Um, well, even you mentioned, like, you, I know you yourself have had conversations, you know, being predominantly a buyer's agent in a lot of cases. And, like, yeah. what we're seeing now with some of those newer, younger agents who, who tend to deal with more buyers yep. are having an easier time now because That's there's a, a little point. bit more inventory totally, and yeah. they don't have to write 15 offers to get one accepted, right? So, I mean, the, with every market, there's kind of ups and downs with it. And you just kind of, like Naz said, you know, just uh, just different perspective. But... Um, but I, d- I do see the number of agents getting into the business probably going down a little bit. I think that'll soften. I feel like the volume and kind of interest level was close to this when I started, and I loved it because every house I went to, I was like, "All right, it's two ninety nine. We're getting this for like two seventy five. Like I was all about like you yeah, were all I, over it. Yeah, yeah, and I always yeah. knew we had one, and we'd always go yeah. see Good three old or four days. houses, and the next That's day we chat about it. We'd submit our offer, and like I just loved it. And we, I felt as a buyer's agent. Like I had the strength. Yeah. I had the money. I was like, yeah, you got that house, but like there's 10 others in the neighborhood that we yeah. can also get the yeah, house yeah, from. Totally. And so we come with the money. And so I felt it was sweet. We had all the strength. And then these last couple of years have been a grind. Like, I just feel like I have no strength. <laughs> we just yeah. want your house and we'll yeah, you give you like everything door, for it. You feel it. like yeah. a door opener at times as, as a buyer's agent. You're like, well, yeah. open the door and it's whoever's buyer is, you know, most, most aggressive is going to have the best chance of winning it. But yeah. I had a client who... You know, he built his whole portfolio, which he probably was up around 150 doors before he kind of took a break. And man, like we would go and we would offer them 30 grand under ask and they'd say no. He's like, all right, wait two weeks and offer them 40 grand under ask. Yeah. Like and we would submit 10 to 12 offers a year and we'd get three or four. But they were all deals, man. They were all deals. And then he rode that in in the upswing and, and did really quite well. Question. I don't even know if you guys can answer this. What's the craziest shit you've seen an agent do, like in a deal, whether it be something they did for a negotiation? I feel like Ryan's got some oh, good man. ones. What shit. can you say? This is this is the Ryan question <laughs> right here. Because <laughs> he's the one that gets the calls. Yeah, what is at, the weirdest shit me. that you've? I had a weird. Wait, kind wait, of, like, mine wasn't mean, the weirdest. Like, you mean like rule breaking or like something funny they could be rule breaking, funny, whatever you're allowed to say. I'm sure he's got. He's probably got a bunch in all of them. When you're dealing with 200 agents. And, all, and that not just our 200 agents, but the agents on the other side. Yeah. Right, sometimes right, right. I see some some come in from another agent, like, what is this nonsense? You're, you're seeing thousands of deals across your desk yeah. every year, so there's going to be some crazy shit. I'll, I'll say one little story that we had was I pulled up to a brand new house. It was a vacant brand new home that had been built, and I was showing it to my client. We walk in the front door, and I hear a little bit of noise. 
I'm like, ah, it's a big house. Like, it was like a four-bedroom, four-bath, like, decent-sized home. So I'm like, ah, it probably just something creaking as the door opened or whatever. Didn't really think much of it. Like, walking through the house, whatever. Go upstairs, go in the master bedroom. And I go in the ensuite, and my client goes in the walk-in closet. My client just super casually opens up the walk-in closet door, and there's somebody in the walk-in closet. <laughs> and my client doesn't even, no, not a gasp, not anything, turns around and just goes, there's somebody in the walk-in closet, closes the door, and just keeps walking. Are they alive? And oh yeah, hundred percent. So I've got a couple over, like, find people dead. Yeah. I right? thought he yeah. was joking. I found I found a couple over the years. Yeah. But really? Oh yeah, yeah. Anyways, I called Ryan. Ryan's like, uh, yeah, like get to call the cops. So called the police. Like, and, and they're robbing the place. These kids <laughs> had broken into the house. They were young kids, and they broke into the house, and they were just hanging out, having like like they had like they were smoking darts, and there was joints all over the floor, and there's food everywhere, and they were just That's hanging out, amazing. living in this house. It was a stage home, so they were just yeah. like, whatever. But anyways, the the cops, I called them, and they were like, oh, like. Okay, yeah, sure. And then, like, two minutes later, my phone rings again. Like, hold up. The people are still in the house with you right now? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, shit. Okay, we'll have somebody over there in two seconds. And literally within, like, 30 seconds, cop cars come barreling down the street, pull in. Seriously? Oh, yeah, they bust the door open. They just come flying up. A bunch of them, like, ready to go. And they arrest the kids and all that. But... I remember calling yeah. you and you were yeah, like, I that. they're yeah. still in the house? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm on the phone with Ryan, literally looking at the kid. There's two, there's two of them hiding in the closet. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm looking him right in the eyes. He's, he's in the house. And you're like, okay. They're smoking cigarettes with you. Literally. Just yeah. 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 We're just sitting there chilling, having sushi. Yeah. It was a good time. But, <laughs> so uh, vinegar chips over there? Yeah. 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 No, we, we've seen a ton of that stuff. And, and again, thankfully, not a, not a ton that have happened to our own direct, you know, from our own people. But we've, uh, I mean, I always, I always laugh when the Real Estate Commission, you know, um, disciplinary newsletters come oh, out yeah. and stuff like that you know that's like the most popular recently. read yeah you know and um and so we've been on been on the other end of a few of those but uh, but like craig said we've had people find you know dead bodies we've had uh you know people completely wreck homes we had a guy i remember one of our guys uh, showed a house uh, i think it was a, an open house he landed there went to go open the door went to go check out the house for the first time and like fell down the stairs and put his shoulder right through the gyprock rock of the wall like you know he'd only been in the house for like eight minutes like, and uh, he called me immediately but like yeah we've had some uh we've had some really funny ones but of course you have some really like sketchy like underhanded kind of stuff too and, yeah uh, and uh, luckily there's i don't feel like there's a ton of that that goes on but over the years you definitely get a bit of it for sure. I could do a whole probably yeah, episode. Yeah, well, say, that, but he's gonna be careful what he says. Yeah, <laughs> one weird one that stands out to me like I had someone amend a deal and like list all this stupid stuff that mm. they wanted the seller to fix, and mm. one of them was like broken toilet paper roll, uh, made a floor powder room bath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that's are you crazy. Kidding me? Uh, and I broke my toe one time at a home inspection. Like two minutes into the home inspection, <laughs> I slid down basement stairs, broke my toe, and then had to proceed like I wasn't in pain for the next hour and a half yeah. for the whole home inspection. Yeah. And yeah. then like I got home and like finally took my shoe and sock off. It was just like <laughs> covered in blood. It was gross. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, what else we got for other questions? What if people? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. So that was those are some of the, the more chill ones. Um, I want to ask you guys why Remax. I know, like, I know you guys, like you said, you came from another brand and you came yeah. over to Remax. What was kind of the the drawing factor that brings uh, you in and a, kind of the value? Yeah, definitely, there's a big difference. I mean, we came from a brand that was pr- predominantly in the states and uh, and a much smaller smaller network. And like, honestly, it was just one of those things where you didn't know what you were missing until you got to that brand and you realized how much more emphasis and how much more. Uh, I don't know, brand power and credibility, the, the balloon brings you, uh, you know, until you get there. Right. And we have an, we have agents that comment on that regularly when they get over there, they, they're not having to explain themselves. You know, if your card has a, a Remax balloon on it, people know what you do that you don't have to yeah. explain that. A also lot, now some right? people so, are migrating across the country. Yeah. I noticed that it's global now, like, now a lot like people, 
you know, you might have kind of the boutique brokerages in an area, yeah. but it doesn't matter where you're coming from in Canada. They, they, they know kind of know the Remax. Well, we we have agents sure, that have yeah. gone on vacation to like, you know, all sorts of places all overseas and, and they, you know, they always take a picture of themselves in front of the yeah, Remax, yeah. obviously. Well, like, they do that to write a, off the, the vacation. Yeah, exactly. Totally. You go and just grab a couple like carrots. Yeah, brought some carrots. Here you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you want a house in Porter's Lake? Sure. Yeah. So I hope CRA doesn't follow you guys. We're all screwed. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing a lot of business in Costa Rica these days. I was say, when I was in Costa Rica, we'd be driving like deep, deep in the bush, and then there'd just randomly be a Remax sign on a tree for a piece <laughs> of land, and I was like, no way. I was in Peru, and I didn't think they had like cars. I was going up on like a wagon, and we're going up the street in like an area that didn't have any like power, and there's just a Remax sign like glued to the side of a house, and I was like, oh my god. I meant to say to you, those like these guys, be like the brand has reach. Yeah. Like, that poor matter. sucker real estate agent just going down that dirt path. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't think the sign installer did that? Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> I do. I had to like a um, staple gun one to a lamp post or to a. A signpost in uh, Lawrencetown a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, man, I'm kicking it old school here. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to climb up this thing as high as I could uh, in the bushes, <laughs> man. Put it up there. Um, back to the brokerage. So, yeah. like, what would you guys? So, because again, we have a bunch of people, and I think there's a bunch of agents that listen. What would you guys say is the hardest part in running the brokerage? You guys have said you guys do over a billion in sales. Uh, there's a couple hundred agents. Obviously, Remax has a bunch of value for you guys. It's a, it's a global brand. Everyone knows what it is. And that's true. Every party I've ever been to, I've been like, oh, who do you work for? I'm like, Remax. And there's not a question of like, oh, who's that? It's, everyone knows what it is. Um, but what's the hardest part of running it? Like, is it, like you said, you want to make sure you keep your young agents happy, your older agents happy, or is it the actual in-house staff? Or like, what's kind of the the big difficulty that you see on a day-to-day basis with it? See, we, we I, I know partners. because, because uh, we all struggle with, each other? Uh, no, we, we actually so get along nice. except for Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, except for yeah. Ryan, yeah, that guy's different. That guy's different. Yeah, yeah. we're we're cool. I'm, I'm yeah, we're cool. Guy that guy's yeah. different. Yeah. But it's letting letting people down. Like, yeah. you know, we we see the potential in a lot of these agents too, and yeah, yeah. we know that they're just they could be doing more. Yeah, we try to guide them as much as we can, and yeah. then when they don't do it, we almost feel it's us that aren't doing enough. Yeah, yeah. it's a killer. It's yeah. a killer, and I'm sure. You guys with your team, you're going to experience that eventually as well because you guys have some great agents. Yeah. But this is this is what happens with the progression as you keep growing. Is you you look at somebody and you're like, they're going to be a superstar. They're going to be amazing. They're going to be the next Neil Chandler. Yeah. And then you're working with them and they just like and life happens with them too. Yeah. So you you catch somebody in the wrong point in their life trying this business. Yeah. It could just not work out and it's heartbreaking. That's like kind of our industry in general, man. There's nothing worse in this industry sometimes you do everything right and still get the wrong result yeah, yeah. and i yeah. know with young agents that like kicks them in the stomach every time it's like well look back like did you actually do everything right and if you didn't like there's a lot of times like well you probably should have gotten ahead of this home inspection issue before the inspection ever happened or yeah, blah, blah, yeah, like big time. you know there's always things that they can learn from it but sometimes in this business as an agent you do everything right and you get the wrong result and it sucks because yeah. You know, in the case of some agents, that could be ten percent of their income for the year. That's right. Mm-hmm. Where they did everything right, and yep. someone else's so emotion true. So true. just summary in this deal. Yep. Um, well, and, and, and yeah. they also don't last long enough to reap the benefits of all their hard work. Yeah. So you give them all this this mm-hmm. line of, of this game plan for yeah. their for to start their career, and they yeah. do everything, yeah. and then they're like, "I'm broke. Yeah. I, I get the jet." Yeah. And you're yeah. like, "If you just wait." Six yeah. more months, yeah. Yeah. you're going to reap Just the benefits of everything. Hang in there, yeah. 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 But you know what, too? I, I think one of the most unique things about our business is that is that you have to work with one another, right? Like, 
we at Remax have to work with another brokerage and try and get a deal done. And like, and you have these opposing interests that have to work together on a regular basis. And it, and it creates these really weird scenarios where you're like, you're kind of, you know, working for the same outcome, but you're completely at polar opposites of the, of the spectrum. And it, and it's, you know, some people don't do well in those situations. And sometimes right? it's, it's in house like, too. And I, I like with, yeah. with, you know, younger agents sometimes, especially if they're coming out of a market where everything was so easy and now there's a hard thing. And like, I did this deal with a, with a younger agent and I could just tell they were terrified to talk to their client, right? Like I had some like not great news, but something that was very much yeah. their responsibility to deal with everything totally, re- you know, reasonable. And the agent, you know, wanted to call me and talk to me about it eight times a day. I'm like, it's not a me. This isn't a me and you conversation. This is a you and your your client conversation. Right. You guys mm-hmm. need to deal with that. And I could just tell they hadn't had to do that, and they were terrified of, of their own client. Yeah. Um, well, they you know. they were also because I know who you're talking about, and I was talking <laughs> so to them through I. it, and they were very intimidated by dealing say, with you yeah. as well. They were really nervous. <laughs> they were. Scary, they yeah. were. Yeah. They were scary dude. Channel scary as hell. No, not I'm the nicest guy ever. Not nice, not <laughs> we nice. also try to tell the agents not to watch the news too much. Man. Yeah, the news can bring you down. The you're media right, has totally. a way of turning the market into this. Oh, it, you know, the sky is falling. It's going Don't dark. Turn on that damn. You know, and not watch this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> for an agent to be very good. I actually good had an agent go like, "Oh, people are and they're just watching the news and listening to these podcasts," and I'm like. I think she might be referring to me and doesn't realize I'm the person I'm that the does guy. that. Yeah. 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 But I, but I look at Chandler, I look at Neil. I mean, I look at Naz. I mean, we've all seen these markets. We've seen the, yeah. you know, we've seen the hottest market we've ever seen in the history of Nova Scotia. Yeah. But normally, I mean, you see an up, it's a down, it's in between, it's stable. You hear all that. But as you, I mean, you've seen it yeah. and, and you've seen it many times, Chandler, as you adjust and grow with these markets, you can get to learn to adjust and adapt to it all. You can be very successful in real estate. Totally. You really can. I mean, you can make it a career. I mean, we have agents in our office 45 years, 40 years, 35 years. If, if it was that bad, would they have been in the business that long? I don't think so, right? But True. they've been able to adjust to it. And I think yeah. if you've got an agent with a good work ethic, you're going to do well. That's true. Yeah. I um, agree with you. A couple things. So we should probably um, wrap this up kind of in the next little bit. Like, what do you think is, is the one criteria that like, makes a good agent? Like, like what's, Each the, what's you guys the first thing? Give one. If you see, if you see someone walk through the door, they're a new agent and right away you kind of know, yes or no, they're going to, they're going to do all they're going to not. What, what is it? What's the thing you look for? Well, I think, I think drive is number one. Cause I mean, if, if you're driven, you know, chances are you can go through a whole bunch of bumps, you know, and you're, mm. you know, you're still going to go. Right. And that, that's cause you know, if, like Craig said, if you, if you're listening to other people or if you even see your own results, you can quickly get demoralized pretty quickly. But I think if you're, if you're really driven, uh, you know, you can make it happen. You just make your own way, right? But yeah. and I yeah. think if you've got a personality, you know, I think a lot of people that yeah. that really don't do well in the business are those Ball that flowers. don't have a personality. Yeah. They really don't. I mean, they may have the work ethic, but they don't really have a personality. So I mean, it's hard for clients to, you know, feel comfortable around them because they're just they, you know, they just don't have it, right? <laughs> no, but you guys have great personalities. You've always been outgoing. You've both have always been very helpful. Mm-hmm. Right? So I mean, that makes a big difference. I mean, you you say it all the time. I mean, agents that give. We'll always get it back. I mean, they really yeah. do, right? And I think that's great what's one. great about our office. Yeah, I think uh, it's funny because I looked at nurses, teachers, uh, people in military. those type of military. People but, are used but, to dealing with shit. No, but you know and what? Organized. A- anybody yeah, yeah. who's who's there, who's in a caring, uh, who can build trust very quickly. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Who actually cares can actually succeed really Absolutely. quickly because mm-hmm. the second you meet somebody, and they know you care. And you can build that bond. True. 
totally. you know, they'll yeah. trust you to do to buy the biggest investment they're going to be. And they'll wait for you too. Oh, yeah. massive! Like they'll massive. stick beside you. And all the key the way to that through. is is listening, right? Yeah. People who listen, I always say, like, if you if you can listen right. to what people have to say and actually hear them out and like you know formulate a solution to whatever the problem is, like, yeah. that's a huge one, right? Um, la- another quick I got, thing. Yeah, I got one other thing. Okay. So you go. Um, one of the things I liked about a brokerage, and it's kind of happened more recently, is that I always thought it was weird how many brokerages rent their own space. Like, we're out there explaining <laughs> to everyone that, like, the values of real estate ownership, and most of these brokerages out there, they rent their space. And some of them, historically, have defaulted on those leases, which is like, <laughs> then it makes the news, and it's like, man, like, that's a bad look. Um, yeah. You know, like... <laughs> I, I actually think it's it's cool that our brokerage, you know, we I, I don't know how much of, I don't I put all of our business out there, but like you guys as brokerage owners have invested in our own spaces, yes. which helps control the brokerage future. But also, man, there's something to be said for practicing what you preach. Yeah. I think it's weird right. to 100%. go there like totally. trying to sell people on real estate when you don't own anything. Totally, that's a weird yeah. look. Totally. Um, you guys want to sure. speak to that at all? Yeah, I mean, when we we came together as a partnership, I mean, we financially we pooled our, our funds together and said like you know. Let's let's get out of these leases that these you know that we've been in for all these years because that was traditional what the way brokerages run. I mean, you just said it. Most brokerages out there they lease their space. So the three of us sat. We came up with a game plan what our business plan would be moving forward. And one of the top of that was to start owning our real estate, like doing what we preach on a day to day basis. Especially me in the commercial world, it was like, you know, I'm out there selling mm-hmm. you know properties to investors. And I'm saying like I should be doing the same thing. And even Neil used to. Hey, Craig, why aren't you buying your own real estate? He said yeah. it to me all the time. I've been yelling at Craig for years. Right? <laughs> he yelled at me for years, but then myself and Naz and Ryan, we had the same, we had the same feeling that we should start investing in properties. And and it's the type of services and amenities that we put into the buildings that's for the agents that made a big difference too. Well, man, when you own a house, it makes you a better real estate agent sure and help someone buying a house. I think if you totally. own commercial real estate, it probably makes you better able to advise someone about commercial real estate. That's sure. right. Yeah. You guys also bought a residential rental? Yeah, we did. So you guys have one residential rental right now as well, as well, well as both? We sold it to. Oh, you sold it to? Yeah, we yeah, did. Yeah. You guys flipped it yeah. over? Well, we're going to be investing yeah. in other areas. We're going to be investing in nice. with the company. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's some more, more yeah. space. Is, for the, is the idea then to grow with some residential rentals? Um, or do you guys want to stay on the, the commercial moment. side? We're going to stay on the commercial side. Yeah. Yeah. We tend to like it the longer didn't term. Didn't like being leases. landlords, eh, guys? No, no, but didn't <laughs> like you know it. <laughs> we <laughs> like being a commercial well, landlord. We're, we're commercial landlords. We didn't right. really make that good of an apartment <laughs> like right. a landlord in the yeah. apartment <laughs> on the residential side. Yeah. We sucked at it, didn't we? Well, we, we, we watched Master Keys, and we decided that we were like, we're going to flip. We're going to flip. I don't have a parking spot. You know, the other tenant took my apartment. I don't really need these headaches. I really don't. Yeah, right? that's the grind. Yeah, yeah. but grind. but we're reinvesting that into other Remax locations. Yeah, for the agents. Yeah. Totally. Once again. Totally. Do you guys have a go-to real estate joke? You know, like, <laughs> usually, like, oh. As agents or brokerages, man, you got like there's usually the go-to real estate joke. When's right. the best time to buy real estate? Yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> that's a true one. Yeah. You got uh, one, Neil? I don't know. A real estate joke? Mm. You ever real see those things joke? like on the staircase? Um, like the assisted, like little elevator chairs. Oh, yeah. I always go in and I say, man, I hate these things. And they go, oh, really? Why? They drive me off the wall. Oh, a little good icebreaker. Oh, no. This goes back to that no. good personality thing That's and why I'm good. wondering how he's a top producer. What's the key thing when buying a pyramid? Making sure you get your mummy's worth. I'm going to wrap it up. I think we're going to wrap it up. I think you do. I think it already ended. Everybody wants to do it now. We want out now, yeah. Like, 
comment, subscribe. Yeah, thanks for listening. If you guys thought this was interesting, let us know. If there's some more questions you guys want to get answered, let us know because we can find these guys pretty easily. We know where they sit and actually where they live. Uh, (laughs) So we can get them answered. But again, thanks for listening. Check it out later. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.